Today's scripture is 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them, as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water. And the water parted to the one side and to the other, till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they... And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and his horsemen, and he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes, tore them in two pieces, and he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. And they said to him, Behold, now there are with your servants fifty strong men. Please let them go and seek your master. It may be that the spirit of the Lord has caught him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, you shall not send. But when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, send. They sent therefore 50 men, and for three days they sought him, but did not find him. And they came back to him while he was staying at Jericho. And he said to them, did I not say to you, do not go? May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. One. A telltale sign of a successful organization is that they have uh, a leadership succession plan in place, right? Companies who have such plans in place uh, value longevity. Uh, they, they, they have the long game in mind. They are thinking well beyond their lifetime. You see, putting a succession plan in place helps to ensure that the mission of the organization continues long past its present leadership. Rarely do 
successful transitions just happen, right? They are discussed and planned, and sometimes given trial runs long before those plans need to be put into action. When a company or organization doesn't have a succession plan in place, it can leave employees and, in, and investors reeling, unsure of what could potentially happen next. Well, this idea of succession in leadership did not originate in the corporate world. I would argue that succession plans are the brilliant invention of our all-wise God. Throughout the Bible, we see God raising up leader after leader to carry out his mission upon the earth. His, his mission was that he planned to destroy the works of the devil, saving his people from themselves, ransoming them from the clutches of sin and death. And he planned to do all of that through the seed of the woman that he promised in Genesis 3 and 15. That is the storyline. That is the storyline we see God weaving throughout history. He calls a leader to faithfully run their course of the race until he calls them home. And then, <laughs> with, it's like without skipping a beat, he raises up the next one. He raises up the next leader. In some instances, we get to see how that succession plan came to be. God, in some sense, pops, pops the hood. He, he shows us how the proverbial sausage is made. <laughs> Take, for instance, one of the more popular transitions in leadership in the Bible, the transition from Moses to Joshua. Right? When we first meet Joshua, he's just a young boy. He's a young boy who Moses chooses to be his assistant. But then we learn that, that Joshua is, is, this, is this warrior and, and, and a faithful one at that. And then, I, and then we are told that he is the man God will use to take Moses' place when he dies. It isn't until later that we actually see that transition take place. Moses, uh, when he dies... Uh, God then orchestrates that succession plan. God had a, had a plan regarding who would next lead his people. God has a plan because he always has a plan. God is never caught off guard. His, his mission will continue to march on. Just like we saw with Moses and Joshua, this morning we will see that same plan march on with Elijah and Elisha. Now remember, this is not our first introduction to Elisha. Our brother, Pasquale, uh, did a wonderful, phenomenal job a few weeks ago looking at the call of Elisha into the ministry. He, his call, much like a number of leaders in the scripture, took place long before he even took the office, right? We already saw that in the life of Joshua. Joshua was just a young boy when he was going to be, uh, when he was called to be Moses' assistant, and the Lord told him long before he took over uh, for Moses that he was going to be the one to succeed him. 
saw that with Joshua, but we also see it uh, in the life of David. God anointed him to be king of Israel while he was still tending to sheep, right, in his father's home. Elisha was called back in 1 Kings 19. So, uh, 1 Kings 19 and 19, we read, So he departed from there and found Elisha, speaking of Elisha, finding Elisha, uh, the son of Shaphat, that who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. That cloak was a signal of his anointing on Elisha to take over, to come and follow him into ministry. It is believed that this call took place some four to six years before Elisha took the office of prophet. Elisha found himself being faithful, as we learned when we introduced him earlier, doing what he was supposed to do when he was supposed to do it. And notice, notice, we hear nothing of Elisha pining away, uh, wanting to be a prophet. There is no testimony of him telling people around him that one day he was going to be the next prophet in Israel. He was just hard at work. Listen, when, when you think about it, it is amazing how we see God call uh, those into his service. He calls the unlikely, the unassuming, the one not looking to be called. That is what God told Samuel when he questioned how it could be David that would be anointed king, the next king of Israel. 1 Samuel 16 and 7, Samuel says, uh, the Lord says to Samuel, but, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature because I have rejected him for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God's not concerned about human optics. Human, humans can only see what, what we can see. We believe we know best about the lives of, of others or, or even our own lives, but brothers and sisters, God calls whom he wants to call. He sees the heart. He delights to use the unassuming, the shy, the ones who don't think they can be used by him. And, and I believe this was Elisha. This was Elisha. God, God doesn't choose who we would choose, nor does his timing for that calling line up with, with our timing. Elisha was called to be the next prophet of Israel, but like we said, it took some time before that, that call was fully realized. For four to six years, here he is, just sitting in waiting under Elijah. The Lord knows what he is doing, and his timing is always right on time always right on time. And, Eli and, and, and for Elisha, in our text, it's now time. It's now time, Elisha. It's now time. At the beginning of 2 Kings chapter 2, we are told that the Lord is about to take up Elijah home, take him home to heaven. He, he's about to leave the earth. Now, now I hope 
over the, these last couple of months as we have been looking at the life of Elijah that you realize that Elijah is a pretty uh, big deal in the history of Israel. You remember there are only a few times in the Bible that we see this large concentration of miracles taking place. Contrary to popular uh, belief, miracles don't happen every single day. They don't happen on every single page in the Bible. We just see these concentrations of them happening over and over again in the, in the Bible. We, we see the miracles performed by Moses. We see them performed by Jesus and the apostles. And then the only other time we see such a large concentration of miracles are in the lives of Elijah and Elisha which signifies their importance. That's pretty good company to keep. Moses, Jesus, and the apostles. Now, we of course know how big of a deal Moses was to the nation of Israel. Well, when Elijah gets mentioned, it is often in the same breath as, as Moses. Do you remember who Peter saw on the Mount of Transfiguration? He was there with Moses, right? Jesus and Elijah was, was there. It was when Jesus asked his disciples what the word on the street was about him, right? Who do, who do people say that I am? And he, he said, well, Lord, some people are saying that, that you're, you're John the Baptist who's come back from the dead. But then others, they, they think that you are Elijah. Elijah, he was signif a significant figure in the history of Israel. And, and so the Lord, about to take Elijah home, uh, about to remove him as from this prophetic office, is it was a big deal. This is like, this is like Steve Jobs leaving at Apple, or Jack Welch at GE, or, or Sam Walton at Walmart. Those figures moving on had an impact. The Lord taking Moses was significant. Elijah being taken to heaven was significant. Who would now call the nation out for their idolatry and wickedness? Who was going to do it? Who would hold the kingly office to covenant faithfulness? Who would speak to the people on behalf of God? Well, God had a plan. God had a plan God had his next leader in the wings, and his name was Elisha. Elisha. Now, as we, now as we observe the transition of leadership um, this, this morning between Elijah and Elisha, I want to highlight a few uh, key aspects about Elisha's transition, uh, about Elisha's life as he transitions into leadership, and how the Lord prepared him for his service. Now, these points, these, the points I'm going to give you, uh, are, are not uh, a follow this way, and you will become a leader, <laughs> or you will become a prophet. That's, that's not what we're going to do here this morning, okay? These are marks uh, we see in the life of Elisha, and there are things that we can glean about faithfulness 
and about discipleship and how we can apply those to our lives. This is not about being a leader and about being a prophet, okay? But we will also see in this text, I think, and this is important, Yahweh's commitment to his mission. One that he delights to carry out through faithful leadership. That's what we're going to see in our text. Observation one, taken from our text, from the life of Elisha. We need to see that Elisha was a follower before he was a leader. He was a follower before he was a leader. We learn that back at his call in chapter 19. At a, at Eli, after Elijah feasted and celebrated this, this calling with his family, uh, remember he, he sacrificed the oxen, remember that back in, the, back in uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. It simply notes this, at the end of 1 Kings 19 and 21, then he, Elisha, arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Uh, Elisha followed after the prophet Elijah and sought to learn from him and serve him. He was not sure what this would lead to, but all he knew to do was follow because that's what he was told to do. Follow, follow Elijah. And when we encounter the pair again, some four to six years later, because we don't hear about Elisha, right, in between 1 Kings 19 and 2 Kings chapter 2, we find that Elisha is still doing what he was called to do. He was following after Elijah. Look at 2 Kings 2 and verse 2. And Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha says, as the Lord lives and as yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Elijah tells Elisha that the Lord is, is, is sending him on a mission, right, to Bethel, and he is to stay in Gilgal where they currently are. But Elisha's response it's like, no, 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 uh, Elijah, I, I, I'm not leaving your side. And, and two additional times, Elijah tries to tell Elisha to stay while he moves on, but Elisha is having none of it. He follows him onto Jericho and, and then on to the banks of the Jordan. Now, now we don't know. We don't know what Elijah was, was trying to do. We don't know why he wouldn't allow, was, didn't want Elisha to follow him to all these places that the Lord had called him to. Many have speculated various reasons for that. But it, is, it, is, it really is not of significance because I don't think that is the point. The emphasis needs to be placed on the fact that Elisha followed. He followed, and, and not just followed Elijah, he followed him faithfully. 
even under the pressure of others telling him to go home. In every city that they went to, the, the sons of the prophets came to Elijah and said, hey, hey, don't you know uh, Elijah's going? He's leaving. You need to leave him. You need to leave him alone. You need to go back. You need to go back home. Elisha, Elisha was not having it, any of it. He pressed on to stay with Elijah even when the pressure was telling him not to. Much like Peter, much like Peter, when asked to leave Jesus, Jesus says to Peter, you see the crowd going, all these disciples going in John chapter 6, and you see all these other faithful followers going, and, and, and Jesus asks Peter, are you going to go too? He says, where are we to go, Lord? He and the others, where are we to go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. Here is, here is Elisha being pressured to, to leave and to go and to leave Elijah, but he just is willing to follow, press on, even through the difficulty. You know, as sheep, we are naturally followers. That's what a sheep is, it's a follower. We need to be led. <laughs> but, but, we are not called to just follow anyone. We are called to follow those whom God calls us to follow, namely those following after him. Elisha was not just following Elijah because he wanted to see some miracles now and then, or because Elijah was this mysterious figure that he wanted to get to know a little bit more. No, Elijah was the man of God who was faithfully living out his calling upon the earth, and so Elisha is following after him. Brothers and sisters, to be a disciple, to be a disciple is to be a follower. That's what it is. That's what a disciple, that's what a disciple is. It is a follower. When, when God calls you into his kingdom, it is not so that you can lead so much as it is so that you can follow. But we don't just follow any old body. We are called to follow Christ. We are called to follow Jesus. To be a Christian is to be a Christ follower. Oh, so when Jesus called his disciples, uh, that was the common refrain that he said, hey, follow me, leave father and mother and brother and sister, let everything go and follow after me. That's the example that Elisha is setting for us. That is the same command we are given, follow after Jesus. Elisha is showing us what it means to follow after Jesus. And in that, and in that, Elisha is a type of Christ, a, a foreshadow of the man of God, or as the Bible refers to him, uh, the son of God who was to come. Here is Elisha, following after a picture, a, a, a type of Christ in the Old Testament, showing us what it looks like to follow after Jesus. 
through difficulty, through struggle. Just like the disciples were called to follow after Jesus, and just like we are called to follow after him. Elisha helps us see what faithful discipleship looks like. It looks like following after Jesus, even, even through difficulty and when it is not popular. Elisha was a follower before he was a leader. In fact, any leader in the kingdom of God must be a follower of Jesus. You are a follower if you are a Christian. He followed before he was a leader, but Elisha also had his priorities straight. He had his priorities straight. When Elijah and Elisha get to the Jordan, the place he was sent to by the Lord, Elijah does something interesting here. He, he rolls up the cloak and he uses it to part the Jordan River. He strikes the river with his cloak and the river parts right in the middle. Now, I hope your, 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 your mind is going somewhere with this, right? Almost the exact miracle that God worked on behalf of his people through Moses at the Red Sea. This act was a vivid reminder to Elisha that Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is the God that fights for his people and the God who saves. Do you remember what Moses said standing on the, the bank of the Red Sea with Pharaoh's army charging behind him and the Red Sea before him, what does he say to the people of God? Stand, don't you do a thing, don't you move, and watch the salvation of the Lord. Then he struck the Red Sea and they walked on through. Oh, I, I like what one author says about Elijah. He points forward to Jesus, but he also points back to Moses. Because that, that, is the, that is the last picture that Elijah leaves with Elisha before he's taken up to heaven. The last picture, the last picture that uh, uh, Elisha has of his mentor, of his friend, of the one who has been discipling him is a picture of how the Lord fights for and saves his people. Now, one quick point of application. If you find yourself in a discipleship relationship where you are discipling one, that is a good word to leave with them. That God fights for his people that God saves his people. That's the word, that's the word that we ought to leave with people. Um, after, after walking over on dry land, experiencing, experiencing this, this miracle, this miracle that Elijah has just performed, Elisha and Elijah uh, Elijah, excuse me, asked Elisha, what can I do for you before I go? 
I know the Lord is about to take me. I don't know how he's going to take me, but I know my time is coming. What, what do you want? What, what can I do for you? What a question. What do, you, what do you ask the prophet of God for? What do you ask your, your, your friend that you've, been, that you've been doing life with for years and, and they tell you they're about to go? What do you, what do you ask for? Uh, Elisha's, Elisha's answer is quite telling about his priorities and his heart. 2 Kings 2 and 9. When they had crossed Elijah and said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. That's what Elisha, that's what Elisha asked for. He, he doesn't ask him for, for money. <laughs> Don't leave, leave me an inheritance of money, uh, Elijah. He he doesn't ask him for advice. What, 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 what would you tell me? What would you tell me to do? What should I do? Help me. Give me some advice on how to live this life, how to be uh, the next prophet of Israel, how to, how to call out kings. He doesn't ask him for advice. Nor does he ask him for his garment of hair and his leather belt that he wore. No. He asked him he asked him for the power that enabled him to carry out the mission of the Lord. That's what, that's what Elisha asked for. How do I get the power that you had? Where does that power come from to, to lead the nation, to call out kings? Where does it come from? Elisha was with Elijah throughout his ministry. He knew the challenge and the difficulty of the role he was about to step into. He knew that the works and the miracles that Elijah had performed were not by his power nor by his strength, that they were from the Lord. So what does he ask? He asks for a double portion of his spirit. He asks for the power to continue the work of the Lord. Huh. Uh, you do understand that when God calls those who will serve in his kingdom, he doesn't call them to serve in their own strength. No one, no one possesses the power within themselves to carry out the mission of God. And so, God fills his servants with his power, with his spirit. He fills them with his spirit. He did it for David, 1 Samuel 16 and 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. The Lord fills his people with his spirit. Well, brothers and sisters, right, right before Jesus was taken up to heaven. He told his disciples that they would give, be given power, <laughs> that they would be given power to carry out, to carry on the mission that had begun. What power? And where would that power come from? Well, Acts 1 and 8 tells us, but you will receive power when Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my, disciples, my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the, world, the earth. That's where the power was. 
They were given his, his spirit to carry out the mission. Those called into the king's service don't serve in their own power, and Elisha knew it. So when given the chance to ask Elisha for something before he left, he asked for that same power, that same power that raised the widow's son from the dead, that same power that called down fire from heaven. Elijah, where did that power come from? I need that power, and I just don't need a little bit. I need a double portion of it. Double portion of it, he asked. Make it a double. Make it a double, Elijah. That is a request the Lord is pleased to answer. You do understand. He is pleased to answer that request. You you have not because you ask not. You have not because you ask not. Elisha asked. He asked. Or as James says, you ask. James 4.3, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. What are you asking of the Lord? Elisha didn't want the double portion so that he could perform miracles, so that he could set up a tent and get a bunch of followers. No, no, no. He asked for the double portion so he could carry out the mission and the work that he was called to. Elisha, Elisha had his priorities right. So he asked for the spirit of the Lord. And, and the person asking for more of the Lord's spirit is a, is a prayer that the Lord delights to answer. He delights to answer that prayer. Luke 11 and 13. If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, speaking of fathers and their children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So ask. You call to, to carry out a work continue the mission of the Lord wherever he has you, whatever portion of the vineyard he has you, and you find that it is a difficult work, it's a hard work, you're not sure where is the power going to come from, ask the Lord for his spirit. He delights to give it. Oh, Elisha had his uh, priorities right. Uh, there's so many, there's so many things, uh, well, okay, we, can, we need to move on. Elisha had his priorities right. But we also see in this text, Elisha was faithful till the end. He was faithful to the end. As Elijah and Elisha crossed the Jordan, they continued to converse. Can't imagine. I don't know what they were talking about. Doesn't tell us what they were, what they were, what they were saying. But all of the sudden, we read in 1 Kings 2.11, and as they went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Just like that, just like that, Elijah, Elijah was gone, taken up to heaven. He, he went up yonder to be with his Lord. 
He went up. He, 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 had, ran, he, he had ran his stage of the race. He had ran it faithfully. The Lord was, was, was pleased with the work that Elijah had done, and now he's gone, taken up into heaven. Now, now if you are expecting me to explain the metaphysical realities of what took place there, or why God took Elijah home that way and what it looked like and how you can get taken up to heaven that way too. This is not the right sermon. Wrong sermon. Sorry that we're not doing that today. I'm not sure, I'm not sure why the Lord took Elijah this way. I'm not sure why he did it. Some speculate that it was a foreshadow to the ascension of Jesus that we read about in Acts 1 and 8. Right? Thinking about, again, Elijah as a type of Christ. Others think it was another dig at the false gods who claimed to, to ride on the, the clouds. But, but I, I don't know. But what I do know is that Elijah witnessed it. And because he was there, faithfully following Elijah to the end, he was blessed. He was blessed even though it was difficult. This was, a diffi this was difficult for Elisha to see his friend, his mentor, his teacher, taken up to heaven, right there in front of him. We read that Elisha mourned over this. He mourned over the loss of his teacher. He mourned over the loss of his friend. You can tell the extent of their relationship based upon Elisha's response, 2 Kings 2 and 12. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into pieces. For Elisha, Elijah was a father figure to him. And now he was no longer with him, and he mourned his loss greatly. It was hard to see his friend taken up. But he was blessed because Elisha being there to witness Elijah take, being taken up to heaven meant that God was about to confirm to Elisha that he, Elisha, was God's next man up. Elisha was God's next man up. Perhaps you're familiar with that term. It's a sports term that is used quite often. Next man up, right? Somebody gets hurt. Somebody can't be at a game. Somebody can't play. The coaches are always preaching, everybody be ready because it's always the next man up. God's mission and plan was not done. He may have taken Elijah, but he was going to give Elisha the double portion he asked for and confirm it with a testimony of a miracle, with a, with a miracle and the testimony of man. Elisha was God's next man up. Elisha now we see, had Elijah's cloak. I, when he got taken up, I guess the cloak fell off. The text tells us fell off uh, uh, Elijah, Elijah, and he picked it up, the, the symbol of authority and anointing. 
And here is Elisha now standing on the bank of the Jordan River. The same place that he and Elijah had just stood. The, the same river that they had just walked through on dry land now is, is flowing again. It's flowing again. And there is Elisha on the, the bank of the Jordan River. And, and Elijah has been taken up. He's all by himself. And, and, and we read this in 2 Kings 2 and 14. Then he took the cloak of Elisha that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Oh, he was, you, I, I could sense the fear, the, the uncertainty of what would happen next. In other words, he's asking the Lord, is your promise true? I, I believe, help my unbelief. You have taken your servant Elijah. Will you be with me, Lord? Will you be with me? God honors the faithfulness of Elijah and Elisha and demonstrates to him that he has not left him, but indeed he is with him. Just like he was with Moses, just like he was with Joshua, just like he was with Elijah, Elisha, God is going to be with you. And we read, when he had struck the water, the water parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. I, I got to imagine, <laughs> Elisha is like, is like us, and if we had taken that cloak and we struck the water and said, where are you, Lord? And it, it worked. <laughs> he is with me. He is, he is with me. Uh, God confirmed that indeed Elisha was the next man up confirmed it with a miracle. God, God confirms his callings often, especially we see it in the scriptures, with a miracle. But he also confirmed it with the testimony of men. 2 Kings 2 and uh, 15. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed down to the ground before him. God didn't just confirm that he was the next, going to be the next prophet of Israel through a miracle. He, he confirmed it through the testimony of the sons of the prophets as well. Elisha, Elijah, excuse me, was gone, but God's mission, his mission carried on. Elisha was indeed the next man up. He was the next man up. And he was called then to run his leg of the race. And we're going to see throughout the life, throughout the rest of our sermon series, that Elisha took this mantle, he took his baton, he took that cloak, and we're going to see the Lord using him in very similar ways that he used Elijah. We're going we're gonna to see him actually see, we're going to see the outworking of that double portion of the spirit that he asked for in the life of Elisha. But Elisha, like all men, he's eventually going to die. He's not going the way Elijah went. 
yeah, not, yeah no, he's not going the way Elijah went, but he's eventually going to die. Is the mission going to die then? No. Because what we see in the scriptures is that the Lord raises up another, and then he raises up another, and then he raises up another, and then he raises up another until he got to the man Christ Jesus. The one who was not just going to carry on the mission, he was coming to complete it. He was coming to complete the mission, and he did, he did. He was the seed promised in Genesis 3 and 15 that was going to make everything right. He, Jesus, he was the one who was going to accomplish the work of redeeming God's people. He would be the one to go to the cross and defeat sin and death. None of the leaders that God raised up before Christ could complete the mission. All they could do was run their leg of the race. God raised them up. God raised them up. Raised them up to, to run their leg of the race and to, and to hand off the baton. But, but when the baton got to Jesus, he carried it to the finish line. He completed the mission. After Christ, after Christ, there was no next man up. He completed the mission. Now, what's our role? The mission's complete. The mission's complete. Yes, he completed the mission by going to the cross and defeating sin and death that the others could not do. They were pointing to Jesus, pointing people to the Messiah that was to come, and here we are now, pointing people back to Jesus. That's our, that's our mission. That's our mission, that, that we are to point people to Jesus, to his finished work, that is what we are empowered by the Spirit of the Lord to do, to proclaim the completed mission of Jesus. And that mission continues to go on and on. It doesn't die. Our mission is to point people to Jesus. Oh, when the Lord takes one, he raises up another to complete his mission of calling men and women unto salvation in Jesus. He's a good God whose mission never ends. Let's pray.